Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. And good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to come into your home this evening. And again, this is an interactive program. We're on for the next 90 minutes, and there are a number of ways that you can interact with us. Maybe it's a question you have. Maybe it's a suggested topic. We would covet your input when it comes to suggested topics that you would like discussed on a future episode of That's Truth. Maybe it's a concern that you have about what the Bible says or doesn't say about a particular topic. We don't have any questions that have come in since last week's episode, so we are going to jump right into a new, fresh topic tonight, a topic that is extremely practical and something that I know you will benefit from. So keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Encourage others to tune in to That's Truth for the next 90 minutes as we are discussing the topic of prayer. Pastor, we're going to start out with a really basic question. What is prayer? Well, you start up with a basic question. I think it's a basic answer. Um, I think the simplest definition of prayer would be prayer is simply talking to God. Um, I think you'll also discover that is the basic concept that we find in Scripture. So, uh, But I do feel that if we're going to uh, understand more specifically how the Bible views prayer and how we define it based on, on what the Bible says, the best thing would be to perhaps look at some words both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that will give us an idea of what this concept of prayer is all about. I guess before we even jump into that, you referenced it's talking to God. Is it talking to a God, or is it talking, do you really believe there's just one God? Well, it's not what I just, what I believe is what the Bible teaches. There's only one supreme God, and uh, his, his, he is the God of the Bible. All other gods are false gods, and the Bible does not in any way countenance the idea that there are any gods other than than, uh, than, than, than Jehovah. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very, very exclusive uh, in this matter. What is also um, telling us well, Nathan, that all the other major religions uh, do have an ex- uh, exclusive god as well. You take the, the, the Muslims, for example, their god is Allah. Uh, the the Hindus, their god is Shiva and Vishnu, etc., etc. So, you know, people charge uh, Christianity with being an exclusive religion, but every single major religion is an exclusive religion because their god is unique. And uh, so we believe that the biblical god is the only true god. 
you referenced there's words in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's to keep it simple. Let's start with the Old Testament. What are some of these words that are used when talking about prayer, and what do they mean? Well, if you check the Old Testament, if you use a, a lexicon or use a concordance, uh, you'll find that there are three basic uh, Hebrew words uh, for God. Uh, one of those words is found in First Kings chapter eight, verse twenty-three, and uh, it's the word uh, "phila." And the root meaning of this word is to intervene, is to interpose, or to intercede. The whole idea is uh, coming between God on the behalf of a person. But that word is found there in First Kings chapter eight, verse twenty-three. First Kings chapter eight and verse twenty-three says, "And he said, Lord God of Israel." There is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Yeah, the, the, the term that is used there uh, in, his, in, in his praying, that particular word that is used there uh, has to do with uh, interceding. It has to do with uh, intervening and interposing between the an individual and God. Uh, another word that is also used is found in First Kings verse uh, nine verse three, and that word is technia, and this word means to show favor. It means to be gracious. So when the, you're praying, you're seeking the favor of God, and uh, you're asking that uh, God show His grace t- to you. First Kings nine three says, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me, I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. That word particularly there is technia, and it has the idea of entreating God to show favor and to show grace. So two things we've learned so far, that uh, prayer is interceding. You're trying to interpose between uh, yourself and, and God on the behalf of somebody else. And this this particular word, the idea is that you want God to show favor and to show show grace. Then the third word that is used in the Old Testament is found in 1 Kings 13.9. It's the word shallow. 1 Kings 13.9 says... For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. Right. Um, that's First Kings 13, 5, 9? First Kings 13, 9. Okay. I might have had the, the uh, small reference there, wrong reference. But the, word, the other word, shallow, really means to entreat, uh, the favor of. So if you take these three Hebrew words, quite frankly, they all seem to uh, portray the same concept of uh, interceding, interposing on behalf of somebody. And the whole idea is that you're seeking God's favor, you're seeking God's grace. So that's the basic concept in the Old Testament when it comes to prayer. Uh, praying and uh, interceding before God uh, with the idea that you want God to show favor and to show grace. Those are the three basic words in the Old Testament for prayer. Pastor, is there a verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt pray before you eat? There's no particular verse that says, um, I can't think of one, to be honest with you, that says you should pray before you eat. Uh, but there's a uh, verse in scripture always tell you be thankful for everything basically and of course if you are being favored because let, let's let's face it there's so many different people in this world uh, that are currently virtually starving on my way up I was listening to the BBC 
and they were talking about the problem they have in Belarus and the uh, the migrants who are trying to get to Belarus, they're trying to get across to Poland and uh, Poland has pretty much uh, put 12,000 soldiers on the border. Now these are people from Belarus. Uh, they can't get into Poland and they can't back, get back into Belarus. And I would I read them about the desperate straits these people are in. Uh, eight babies have already died in that situation. Uh, and I was thinking as I was going up, you know, this world's a real cruel world. And not only that, I was saying to myself, they've got so much to be thankful for. We haven't had the slightest. And then I, on the way up as well, I was listening to the BBC in connection with um, what's going on in Ethiopia. There's an ethnic war going on between uh, almost like ethnic cleansing. And uh, it is brutal. And, I mean, you're living in Antigua, so peaceful, living in the Caribbean. But while we're here at peace and enjoying a lot of the benefits, we, we've got to be aware that across this globe, there are people who are starving, there are people who are in desperate need, there are people who are uh, seeking to escape uh, harsh realities. Uh, and I think, um, you know, we just got to be more thankful. But there's no particular verse that specifies that we should pray before we have meals, etc. Like there's no particular verse that says that you must uh, pray before you go to sleep or pray before you get up. We do have the practical example of people who pray three times, David and Daniel, morning, noon, and evening. But we don't have any. All we're told is to pray without ceasing, and that we must be, always be in the attitude of prayer. But not nothing specific as far as that is concerned. I find that for me, the most natural prayer of mine is when I'm about to eat. It's almost like I'm almost robotic. Before I can put a morsel of food in my mouth, I'm always thanking. I, I guess that's a, something I, I learned early. My mom didn't teach me that. My dad didn't teach me that. But it just comes automatic. I wish that I had other forms of prayer that was automatic like that one. Mm-hmm. But that one is just something that comes natural with me. With other people, um, it may not be as natural. Mother be my, every time they get up in the morning, they're inclined towards prayer. They're inclined to much prayer. But it all has to do with disciplining ourselves into the kind of uh, habits that uh, help us in the Christian life. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, a live interactive call-in program. Do you have a question? It doesn't have to be about prayer. It can be about any topic. We would love for you to call and be put live on the air. 268-462-7420 is the number to call to be put live on the air. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 7821454 It is by no means an inconvenience when you send in a question we are here for the Tuesday evening from 7:30 until 9 for the purpose of answering your questions until your questions come in we will continue to talk on this topic of prayer pastor what about the scenario you have two teams mm-hmm. they can even be two church sports teams And they are playing against each other. Mm -hmm. And Team A is praying that they win. And Team B is praying (laughs) that they win. Team B wins. Is their prayer more effective? Or how does God decide who does prayer to answer? I just think the persons with the most skill and and they put in the greatest effort, I think normally that's the person that wins. Uh, I am not too sure uh, what are the mechanics of how um, God hears one team prayer. But I'll tell you this. Uh, it is pretty useless praying to win a game if you don't practice and you don't train mm-hmm. because God is not going to encourage incompetence and um, laziness, quite frankly. So you pretty much wasting your time. It's like a person who doesn't study for an exam 
and goes into the exam saying, God, fill my head with, with knowledge. I mean, that will never happen. On the other hand, if you've done all you could, and you've studied hard and diligently, and you might come to a, a spot maybe in the exam that you really are baffled, it is then that in those cases that I think that God would lead you perhaps to remember a few things that you learned. But uh, I don't, in my judgment, I don't think it would be uh, of, in, in harmony with God's way of dealing with uh, humanity that he uh, uh, encourages uh, uh, by us to be lazy or not study or, or not uh, be diligent or not work hard and not train hard and then expects by some small, simple little prayer that we're going to get uh, some answer to it. I don't think that's going to happen. You mentioned three Old Testament words. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we go on to the no, New Testament? No, I just Testament? think that it's important to just grasp the, the, the key concept there, that you're interceding or interposing on the behalf, and the whole idea is that you want God to act favorably and show His grace. Because we have we can't wring God's hand, quite frankly. Uh, we can just appeal to Him as a great sovereign of the universe, and we're just humble servants before Him. And, and we want Him uh, to be gracious to us and show favor to us, especially when it comes to uh, interceding on the behalf of others. What about words that are in the New Testament that refer to prayer? Well, there's seven different words in the New Testament for prayer, and um, all of them seem to revolve around two main themes. But let me just give them to you. The first one is eskomai, and there are three different forms of this word. But this is the general word that is used for prayer in the Bible, and it always has to do with asking for something. So prayer uh, from this particular aspect in the New Testament is asking uh, God for something. The second word is a diomai, and there are two forms of this word, and it carries the idea of asking for something, but asking for something in more, uh, with more specificity. In other words, it's, a, it's, a, it's still asking, but you're more specific in what you ask for. Uh, the third word is etio, and again, it's found in, maybe look at James 1, verse 5. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Okay. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let me read it in another sure, uh, go ahead. Another translation. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Well, the word they ask is the, 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 the New Testament word for prayer. And it means to ask or to request. So notice that uh, both the main word, eskomai, and also the word diomai, all of them have the idea of asking, including this word, uh, eto. And then the other word is uh, eratio. That is found uh, in Scripture, and it means to request or to ask. Uh, you would find that again and again, there are seven different words, but every single New Testament word uh, for prayer has to do with asking. Uh, the other word, the fifth word, is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, 27 to 28. Romans chapter 8, what verses? 27 and 28. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his That purpose. word that is used there in, in verse uh, 27, 28 is the word intercede. And so it has to do with petitioning uh, on the behalf of a person and asking to that permit, uh, uh, petition that um, um, we are interceding with somebody else. 
And then the sixth word is found in Corinthians 12.8. If you look there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 12.8 says... It's called parakaleo. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Right. That, that word... Um, Read that again for me, please. Second Corinthians twelve eight. Oh, sorry, I was in First Corinthians. Second Corinthians twelve, 12 eight. eight says, "For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me." Yeah, they know the word is besought that it might depart. The, the the whole idea of that was sparkly. It has to do with uh, to request or to entreat. That's the sixth word, and then the last word that is uh, in the New Testament is found in Hebrews five seven. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him was able to save, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Yeah, the word supplication there is the other New Testament word for prayer. You'll notice that in every single case, in all the New Testament words, the whole idea is asking, petitioning God for something. And that's why I said that the simplest definition of prayer really is is talking to God. Uh, but it's with the idea of asking favor of Him and ha- asking Him to be gracious to us. So that is basically the, the, the words uh, that you find both in the Old Testament and New Testament. And they all convey substantially the same thing, basically. So if the words in the New Testament are talking about asking and petitioning, that almost makes prayer sound self-serving, like I'm saying, God, I need this, God, I need that. Is that the biblical view well, of prayer? Well, that's the big, basic concept is that we come to God because we have needs. But you'll find that there are different forms of prayer. There's adoration, uh, for example, there's intercession, there's supplication. So we will come to that in the future. But in the in the basic idea of what is the, 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 the basic concept behind prayer is that I am... Uh, petitioning on the behalf of somebody and I'm asking favor of God. So it's not necessarily selfish because it's not just petitioning for myself, but you're petitioning on the behalf of our needs. But the whole idea basically is asking. As a matter of fact, John R. Rice uh, wrote a book, uh, I think the title of the book was Praise Asking God. And what he did basically that he shows that every single uh, word that has New Testament word that has a prayer is the idea you're asking, you're asking, you're asking God. Uh, and by the way, you know, when you ask God, you're not necessarily asking, for example, you can ask that his God's will be done. That's not a selfish request. You pray, you ask God about His kingdom, that it will be done, that Thy kingdom come. Uh, so again, that's not selfish. But basically, you're still asking God because you still need uh, to ask Him to help that His kingdom be advanced, His will be advanced. But that's the basic idea behind the word. Is there anything that is too menial, too petty for us to pray about, or does God want us to pray about everything? Well, I think that... Uh, Nothing should be beyond the possibility of prayer, to be very honest with you. But what may be petty to me may be very important to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think the whole spectrum of prayer is open. Uh, But I don't think that there's anything that uh, we should not be... uh, If we're talking to God and we're related to Him, and He's our Father, uh, nothing should be beyond a son or daughter being able to speak to Daddy about a situation. So I don't think that anything is too petty for us to bring it before God. If it's of importance to us and it's significant to us, um, I don't think it's outside the realm 
of bringing that matter before God. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. You can call and ask your question live on the air about any topic. It doesn't have to be focused on prayer. The phone number to call and be put live on the air is one 268 462 7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 782 1454. For those of us, those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment right there on your device in the comment section and we will pass along your question or comment to Pastor Murphy live on the air in a timely manner. We are talking tonight about a topic that applies to all of us. Uh, Pastor, if I'm not a Christian and I pray, does God hear my prayer? I think that's a question that's been asked before, and I would say to that person, um, it all has to do with what your desire is. If your desire is to find God and you want the way of salvation, you want to know the truth and live in God, I do feel that God hears a prayer like that because we have a classic example of that in the book of Acts in the case of Cornelius. Even before Cornelius was converted, uh, Paul, uh, Peter was the instrument that God used to bring the gospel to Cornelius through a dream and then through an angelic voice. But we are told significantly even before Cornelius was prayed that it, the Bible said that his prayer had gone up before God as a memorial. Clearly, uh, Cornelius was what you might call a proselyte, a person who had embraced the, the Jewish religion, but who was searching for truth. And he was uh, praying before God. He, he, he lived up to the light that God had given to him. And in his uh, prayer, uh, God eventually was able to bring Peter uh, into contact with him so that he would come to a knowledge of Christ. So if a person is genuinely seeking God and desires to follow the Lord and desires to know how to live in order to please Him, I do believe that God hears uh, a person like that. There's a passage in Scripture where a man said in the Gospels, God heareth not a man in his sin. Uh, but again, if you read the context of that particular passage, uh, is not talking about people who are inclined towards finding God. Uh, it's referring to a person who is really uh, adamantly living in sin without any regard for God. But when somebody is really seeking God and really know, wants to know the truth, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that God hears a prayer like that. I'm looking at a study here done by the Barna Research Group, mm-hmm. and it says among American adults who report praying at least once during the last three months, one in four say the content of their prayers was a petition on behalf of their nation or their government. Obviously, I'm using statistics out of the United States because that's where a lot of the statistical research has been coming from. Mm-hmm. But is that disturbing to you that only 24%, 25% of people who prayed any time during the last three months mm-hmm. are praying for their government? Uh, it it should be disturbing, but I'm not too sure that if it is any different even here in Antigua. Uh, I don't know if uh, – I don't know how many – Party, what party population pray for the, the government, but we do have a directive given to us, an imperative in the book of Timothy, that we should pray for the government and pray for leaders of the country. 
uh, I would say that if you got 25% or a quarter of the American people praying for the government, uh, America got about 270,000 people, 70 million people. It's only 25% of those who did pray. Oh, okay, okay. So that's pray. A, uh, but that, that, that is still a significant m- m- number. If the, if, the, if the people are praying uh, for the government, I think that is commendable. Uh, I wish that we would do a lot more praying than complaining. We tend to <laughs> complain more than pray, and, and remember, yeah. the complaining changes nothing. Prayer changes everything. Yeah, and I, I think that we should take prayer more seriously, and especially for governments who have to make tough decisions, uh, that God would give them the wisdom to know how to make those decisions. But we should be praying for the nation. We should be praying for this government, and it should be praying for the government, irrespective of which party is in power. Yeah. Uh, the problem here in Antigua, I find that the the, the 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 nation is so polarized. It's almost like America polarized between the Democrats and the Republicans. Here's between the UPP and the Labour Party, and I think that uh, that carries over even into uh, the person's personal religious life. It's very, very unfortunate that uh, we have allowed politics to divide us, but we need to get back to the biblical model of praying for those who are in authority. Especially during these, I mean, we should be praying for those in authority during all times, but especially during these uncertain times of COVID and no matter what your view um, on where you fall on the spectrum of how you view COVID and all, like Pastor said, don't just complain about your government. Pray, <laughs> pray for them. Pray for wisdom, yeah, yeah. and that they would make decisions honoring to the Lord. Nathan, I think that the the greatest failure in the church is prayer, and I think the greatest need in the church is prayer. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that people are not praying, but I don't think that we take prayer as serious as we should. Uh, it's almost embarrassing sometimes when I think about it. To be very honest with you. But I don't, I don't think anything is going to change society or change the church or change the way we do things unless we have a breakthrough with God. And this breakthrough will only come when we get into a form of serious intercessory prayer and brokenness over our state and over our condition. Without that, I really don't see uh, we getting ourselves out of this, this uh, humdrum that we find ourselves in within the Christian faith. Based on the Old Testament and New Testament words that you've discussed so far, what conclusions would you say that we should draw in relation to prayer? Well, there are three simple conclusions. One is that uh, prayer is human speech addressed to God. Let's understand that we can verbalize prayer. I know that we can pray in our mind and uh, etc. But essentially, it's about verbalizing prayer. And I think that one thing that would help us in prayer, if we could pray more aloud, than prayer in secret because our thoughts tend to wander when we are trying to pray secretly that nobody can hear, basically. But I think if we could verbalize that prayer more vociferously and uh, hear it ourselves, I think it helps in the process. But the first thing is that uh, prayer is human speech of Jesus. Number two, prayer is always the, the design that you ask in God for something. Uh, and when I say asking God, you know, uh, Lord, how can I adore you more? How can I praise you more uh, for your needs, the needs of your brother, your sister, need for somebody, the nation, whatever it is? But uh, we are a, a people in need, and God is, has made himself available uh, to be asked for what that need is. And then the third thing is, I would say that we got to understand that prayer is a conversation, uh, where we are actually carrying on a conversation with God. We're talking with God. We're not talking to some kind of a, uh, a force that is impersonal. 
So it's a, almost like a dialogue where you are talking, but at the same time, after you've talked, uh, it would do us wise sometimes to, to, to listen afterwards to see what is said to us or what impressions brought to our minds. So I think those two, two, three ideas, that it's a human speech that is addressed to God so it can be verbalized, is about uh, recognizing we, we need God, therefore we need to ask the one who can help us, and also it's the idea of conversing uh, with him in a personal relationship. I think those are the three key concepts we can get out of those New Testament words. Pastor... What do you think the biblical view would be on written prayers that are read aloud in uh, a church congregation? Uh, is that is that a biblical perspective? Is that something that we should be getting back to? I, I'm not for these rote prayers. They're not my prayer. They're not your prayer. You're actually uh, repeating a prayer that somebody has created, somebody has made. Uh, and I am not so much for this formality of, of doing that. I really think that prayer ought to be an extemporaneous expression coming out of the heart as one is led uh, uh, by the knowledge of Scripture and also by prompted by the Holy Spirit. But the idea of having these pre-written prayers that people make, uh, it might sound well, and they're very flowery and very attractive in terms of the depth in which sometimes they're expressed, but they're not prayers that come from the individual heart, and prayer must come from the heart. It must not just come from the mind. So I'm not disposed uh, that we we, 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 uh, we read rote prayers, etc., etc. However, I would say this, Nathan, when you are going to a major function, suppose you are going to address the government, I do feel that you should think through what you're going to pray. Uh, if you have got time already before, you know you're going to be speak praying at a function, uh, for whatever reason, I think it'd be very, very unwise not to ponder in light of the circumstances because you want to pray around whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it be dealing with agriculture, uh, whether it be dealing with economics. In other words, uh, I think you should think about what you're going to pray and try to make your prayer relate to whatever event you've been invited to and uh, not just get out there and, and uh, be praying that has no relationship whatsoever to whatever event you're going through. So I do think this time that we should reflect on what we're going to say. Uh, but the other times when you're called at prayer extemporaneously, whether it be in a service, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, again, you're in that setting. You know that you've got believers, you know you've got a church, whatever. But I do think that um, I don't, I'm not for this idea of these rote prayers that you can buy books in and stuff like that and uh, it sounds very rosy and very pleasant and very uh, attractive to the ear, but it comes from a hollowness because it doesn't come from the heart. Based on this study that I have in front of me, in 2017, 79% of women interviewed said they pray weekly, and only 68% of men say they pray weekly. This, again, is coming out of the United States. Would you estimate that it would be similar here? I think it'd be much a greater disparity between the two. I think you'll probably find that women pray a lot more than men pray. Okay. Uh, so I think I, I'm very struck with this figure. It's an amazing figure, to be honest with you, to think that uh, you do have this level of prayer both by men and women. But generally speaking, women seem to be more, um, I, I can't explain it, but because they are conversational, because they're very personal, uh, they seem very often to develop a much more meaningful Christian uh, prayer life than most men. Men are 
outdoors, they're active, they engage. Activity is what, what really drives men. What drives women is something personal, and that, that aligns itself with, with their prayer life. So I'm not surprised at these numbers, and I think that if you were to check in the Caribbean, I think you'll find it's a far more disparity. You'll find that a lot of women pray a lot more than men do. Um, that that is my own view. I can't I can't I can't I don't have any statistics to prove it, but it would be interesting to do a statistical um, study on this whole matter to really find out what's your true state and etc. But I think you'll find that women generally pray more than men. Uh, I think that's a general truism. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you would like to call in and ask a question, you can call 1-268-462-7420. And the phone line is open, available, and awaiting your call. Again, that number is 268-462-7420. It doesn't have to be about prayer. It can be about any topic. Or you can send a WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. As we talk about prayer, if prayer is basically talking to God, what assumptions can we draw from the biblical perspective? Well, I think there's several things. If, if the uh, New Testament writers and the Old Testament writers are, are viewing prayer from the aspect of talking to God and in, uh, interceding and interposing on some, some other, another person's part or even on his own behalf, and the idea that uh, you're asking God uh, for help, I think there's several things that we can draw, several presuppositions. One is, is that God is personal. If you can verbalize conversation, uh, you can only verbalize conversation with a person who is personal. He's not some kind of an impersonal force of power that we are asked to get in contact with. Uh, There's an I-thou relationship within prayer, and that means that God has intellect, it means that God has emotions, and God has a volition. Just like we have intellect, we have emotions, and we have volition. So that tells us that we can actually enter into a personal relationship with Him in our conversation. The second thing, Nathan, is that it means also that God is eminent. And when I say eminent, it means that God is near. He is not the deistic absentee God that uh, is indifferent towards His creation and is not involved actively in planet Earth. The fact that the Bible encourages us to ask God and talk to God uh, tells us that we believe that God can hear our prayers, and the reason why God can hear our prayers is because God is eminent in creation. He's actually involved uh, in, in uh, His created order. The third thing would be that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. If the we are told to pray, and I can pray in Antigua, and an African can pray in Africa, and an American can pray in America, and a European in Europe, uh, and a Chinese can pray. It simply means that uh, uh, God is not limited by time, by space. He's not limited by uh, place either. So that also, uh, that's one of the other assumptions that we can present, uh, assumptions we can get, that he's omnipresent. And then the other thing that we, another assumption because of this um, idea that prayer is asking God, is that God is sovereign. We pray to God because we believe that God controls His creation. We pray to God because we believe that He controls persons, He controls events, and He controls things. The only thing outside the, uh, the pale of God's control uh, uh, that cannot be influenced um, is God's will. God has a will, and we can't change that will. Outside of God's will, 
everything else on planet Earth can come under the influence of God changing and moving uh, to bring about some event that, that needs to be done. So it means that God is able, He's capable uh, for what we ask. And then it also means that God is omniscient. I mean, if I can pray and you can pray and the Chinese can pray in His language and the Spanish can pray in His language, it means that God is omniscient. It means that God knows everything. So nothing is outside the pale of God's knowledge. Uh, that's a, a fifth assumption. And then the other one, of course, that God is omnipotent. That means He's powerful. His, his power is infinite. It means it suggests that there are endless possibilities in prayer and that therefore we can get the help that we need. And finally, another assumption we can draw is it was what I call God's veracity. That God has made promises in His Word and God will be true and faithful to those promises. And it's on the basis of those promises we come to God in prayer. And it's because we believe those promises and God's veracity and holding to those promises uh, we believe that God is going to answer prayer. So I think we can get those seven assumptions that we can draw out of this fact that prayer is asking God, prayer is interceding and interposing on behalf of others and prayer is asking God to show grace and favor I think those are seven assumptions we can draw from that Are we supposed to go directly to God? Is that what prayer is or do we go through a priest? Do we go through Mary? The Bible is very, very clear uh, as how this whole process works. The Bible says that we pray to the Father in the name of His Son under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means in the Spirit. And this is where prayer uh, involves the entire Trinity. But in Scripture, prayer is always directed to the Father in the name of the Son, the authority of the Son, but also involves the element that it is influenced by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit prompts us how to pray. But prayer should be directed to God. Uh, it should not be directed to man or angels or women or, or, or any other being other than God, the Father. Uh, prayer should be directed to Him. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches. Does that mean that it's wrong to pray through another individual? When you say through another individual, what do you mean? Well, if I address my prayer to Mary. Or oh, of course. I mean, if you, if God gives you a directive, and, and this is not just a singular directive, this is something throughout the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament, uh, where our Lord, in teaching people how to pray, when the disciples came to Him, He said, this is how you pray. This is the pattern of prayer. It's not just that you repeat it word for word, but as your prayer, this is structure. And that's the thing about prayer. Prayer is not a haphazard thing. It's supposed to be structured to it. But the first thing He said um, in that prayer, um, Our Father which art in heaven. So prayer, you want to know how to pray? This is how to pray. You direct your prayer towards your Father who is in heaven. It's not the pastor saying that. It's not me saying that. It's not you saying that. It's the Lord himself who said, this is how you pray. Who am I, therefore, to violate that? If that is the directive he's given to believers and set the pattern of how we should pray. So it's downright idolatrous for any person to address any being other than God in prayer, whether it be Mary, whether it be Vishnu, whether it be some other religious uh, um, personage, uh, prayer is only be directed towards God. Pastor, what is your confidence that you have a right relationship with God? Well, the relationship of a believer with God is based on his faith and trust in Christ. 
um, if a person has exercised faith and trust in Christ and is depending on Christ and the finished work of Christ, that is what establishes the relationship with God uh, initially. The other thing, of course, that you know that relationship had to be sustained. And quite frankly, um, if we treated God that we treat, if we treated our wives that we treated God, we'd be sued for divorce. Mm. Uh, so we got to realize that a relationship breaks down unless there's communication. There must be communication to maintain a relationship, and that's why prayer is so important. Because if we've got this established relationship with God, to keep this relationship meaningful and ongoing, there has to be communication. Because without communication, every single relationship breaks down. So. Um, the initial relation of putting your faith and trust in Christ and also your communion with Him, your talking with Him, that's the basis of a relationship. Does that mean that if I become a Christian, but I don't have the prayer life that I should, that I can lose my salvation? No, you don't lose um, salvation. You lose, fe- you lose your fellowship, right? Uh, it, once God has saved a person, that person is eternally saved. Uh, God saved you knowing everything about you the past the present and the future and if he has acted in his sovereignty to accept you as a sa- uh, you accept him as savior then that establishes an eternal relationship but if you um, if you're not praying if you're not reading your bible if you're not involved I mean those are just two things but the other things that you're not, not involved in clearly the relationship is not what it's supposed to be so you can have a fractured relationship but you don't you don't have a fractured sonship, two different things altogether. It's just like between yourself and your father. Uh, there are certain things that your father expects when you were growing up, and um, you knew they were always his son. Sonship was always, quite frankly, unbreakable. But you also knew that if you did things contrary to his will, it would um, create a friction in the relationship. So that fellowship was broken, and substantially, that's the same analogy that can be used when it comes to us and God. List a question from a listener. Pastor, I don't see a verse that tells me I should be a member of a church. What is your basis for why a Christian should join the membership of a local church? That's an amazing question. Uh, I would suggest you to read the book of Acts and see that they joined the church, were added to the church. So if that's the model set to us in the book of Acts, uh, why do you think that... uh, you can be a, a lone ranger Christian out there. That's not what Christianity is all about. The church is a fellowship. Uh, it's a society of believers who come together uh, to serve the Lord. And there's no idea you cannot be you cannot be at the church yourself. So I'm I'm very confused where you could think <coughs> that you would not belong to the church. You belong to a body of believers. Uh, you're part of a family. Uh, so this idea of independent of not being part of a church is simply contrary to everything in the New Testament. So I'm a little bit confused why a person would entertain that idea. Uh, but you should belong to a local assembly. You should belong to a, a church. Why do you think they call it the Church of Galatia, the Church of Ephesus, the Church of uh, Philippi? Those are local assemblies. Uh, that is what the New Testament model presents to us. And... Um, where is discipline going to come in if you're not part of a church? Who's going to discipline you? Who's going to keep you in line? What if I don't want discipline? Well, if you don't <laughs> want to see. <laughs> but it's, it's unthinkable that Christ is forming the church, and I don't want to be part of the church. I mean, 
it's not man that founded the church, right? It's God that founded the church. So I, I'm a little bit puzzled by that question, but you should be part, if any person who is a true born-again believer should be part of the fellowship of a church. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled that that question would have come in. Do you have a question? We would love for you to ask it and have it answered from a biblical perspective. The question, the phone number to call and be put live on the air is one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. Give that to you again as you get your phone unlocked and the phone app opened up. One two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four. Five four. No matter how you are joining us tonight, whether it's on 1160 AM, whether it's on 92.3 FM online at www.radiolighthouse.org or on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, we are honored that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening activities in order to listen to the program. Maybe you are listening to the rebroadcast on Saturday evening or afternoon. We are thankful to have you listening on Saturday, and we encourage you, if at all possible, to tune in next Tuesday, and you can interact with us live during the program. Maybe you are listening to this months later, after it was recorded as a podcast. We are thankful you're listening to That's Truth. And maybe you're not familiar with podcasts. Let me just tell you real quickly how you can go back and listen to every single episode of That's Truth from the last three years. You can go to our website, www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large picture that you see. It's a big picture of a microphone. And right in the center of the screen, there is a circle that says podcast. Click on that circle. And then we have, I believe it's four podcasts that are linked there. Click on the That's Truth archive, and you can go to all 100 and I forget how many episodes we've had now. I think we're coming up close to 200 episodes now that we are going toward. Pastor, a WhatsApp question that has just come in from Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. Good night. According to the scriptures, from what is written, it seems as though the Jews killed Jesus and the Romans had nothing to do with it. The historical documentation shows that in those days, public crucifixion by the Romans was the the scare tactic so the Jews would not rebel. Also, the veil that got torn in the temple after Jesus died, who gave the writer that information when only the high priest is allowed in the Holy of Holies once per year? Well, I don't think there's any uh, issue with these questions. But as the Romans, the Jews were the provocators of the crucifixion. They were part of the conspiracy. And it's there that asked for him to be crucified. But we are told that the person who represented the Roman government, Pilate, is the one that crucified him. So both uh, Pilate and the Jews are complicit in the death of Christ. Uh, so I, I don't know why there should be any dispute about that. In terms of the Romans uh, using crucifixion as a means of uh, um, instilling fear, it was a brutal system. Uh, this crucifixion, it was one of the most brutal forms of death. Um, and what was the other part of the question? Uh, the veil. Well, well, I mean, 
like anything else, uh, the temple being when it when the event occurred that Christ died in the veil of the temple, do you not think that the priests would have mentioned it and the disciples would have known that? I mean, that is basic thing. It's like it's like take St. John's Cathedral. Suppose there was an earthquake uh, in St. John's Cathedral and something spectacular happened. Maybe the earthquake and split the whole building between two, but nobody died. Half went on one side. That'd be public knowledge all over Antigua. So I don't understand why there should be those kind of issues that w- would create. That sounds like a person who doesn't take the Bible seriously, who doesn't take the, what the Bible teaches. This may be either a, uh, I'm not, can't, can't, don't can't make my, um, want to mis- misread what, it, what I'm hearing. But uh, clearly, if the Bible tells us is what has happened, uh, that's the authority of the apostles. To question that is to question the integrity of the apostles and to undermine the very infallibility of the Bible. And this cannot be a person that takes the Bible as the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And this may be somebody who maybe was a believer at one point in time, became disappointed in the Christian faith, and perhaps is maybe trying to undermine uh, Christianity. But I hope it is not. Uh, but I, I think these are simple answers, and I, I think that any reasonable person having uh, who is a believer uh, would not dispute that these things actually happen. And uh, however you look at it, we ourselves are also implicated in the death of Christ because the death of Christ was not an accident. It was preordained that Christ would die as a lamb to take away the sins of the world. So even we ourselves, our sin is what put him on the cross. So whether it be the Romans or the Europeans or the Jews or the Mohammedans or the Chinese or the Koreans or the Barbadians or the Antigans, we are all complicit in this whole matter because his death was for our sins. Lots of questions coming in. Thank you to those who have sent them in. WhatsApp question from Anguilla. Good evening, gentlemen. Pastor, is it biblical to say that Jesus did not die for everyone in the sense that all will not come to repentance? Well, the Bible is very clear. He tasted death for every man. What does that mean? Uh, he died for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? He's a provision not for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? Christ died for the entire world. Uh, he died for the entire sins of the entire world. I mean, to deny that is to deny the explicit statements of Scripture, which is, uh, in my in my in my view. Um, uh, but I know that, for example, this is the problem with Calvinism. Uh, which believes in the tulip uh, Calvinism. They believe that Christ only died for the elect. That is not scriptural. That's not biblical. That's heretical, to be very honest with you. The Bible is so very clear on this matter that Christ died and tasted death for every man. And uh, he is a propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. I mean, you can't get more clear than that, right? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the what? The whole world. I mean... Uh, so I think it is a heretical teaching. I think it is false. And I just think we stick with Scripture, uh, no matter how vociferous those that hold to that position try to advocate it and scream it. Uh, we believe that the Bible is very clear on this matter, that Christ died for the sins of everybody. A question coming in from the Southern Caribbean. Good night. Can our prayers be hindered, yet why do some prayers take years to get answered? That's a good good question. Thank you for sending that in. We're going to do part of the program on prayer, what hinders prayer, and there are about seven or eight things that the Bible says that if these things, God would not answer our prayer. One of the things that I looked at this week um, is the fact that, do you know that your relationship with your husband and your wife could hinder your prayer? Wow. That's fascinating. Read the book of Peter. Uh, uh, Paul warns about that. Um, sorry, Paul warns about that, that um, if you... 
uh, not having a good relationship with your wife, your prayers can be hindered. So your your relationship with your your, with your your partner can hinder your prayers. So you can be praying; it's not getting beyond the ceiling because you're not treating your life with as it as, uh, dwell with them according to knowledge, and dwell with them as a weaker vessel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that is a, a thing that would would uh, would hinder prayer. But there are seven of them that we talk about. But yeah, uh, look, the other thing is this: you know, God answers all prayer. But he doesn't answer all prayer the way we want to. Uh, God answers our prayer by saying yes. We all agree with that. But would we accept the fact that God answers our prayer also by saying no? No is an answer, right? And then God answers our prayer by saying wait. And so, and then God answers our prayer by saying my grace is sufficient. So there are four different ways in which he answers your prayer, but there are four different answers. It's just that we somehow think that everything we ask God for, we will get. Mm. Not even your child gets everything you ask for because there's something your child wants that you know, quite frankly, is not good for them. They like chocolate. They might rotten their teeth. They, they might want to play with a knife. They're not mature enough to handle a knife. So sometimes you you intend to give them a pocket knife later, but as they're mature. And there are times when you're asking God for something that God knows you're not ready for it. So, uh, yeah, prayer can be hindered, and uh, there we can look at that in more detail, but it can be hindered and it can be delayed. But God answers all prayer just in those four different ways. Thank you to the individuals who have sent in those questions. We appreciate it. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air by calling one 268 Four six two seventy four twenty. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text, you can send your question to two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Nathan, before we go any further, the, the question was asked about uh, becoming a church member. Which yeah. become, that has uh, provoked me to think a little bit. How is there ever going to be accountability in the life of an individual who's not part of the church? Number two, how are they going to be sent? How do you send out missionaries? One person can send out missionaries. So it's obviously that it was intended that we pool our resources in the, the church can send out. Who sent out uh, missionaries? Churches send out missionaries. So it's impossible for a person to uh, be part of, um, I mean, to be outside the church and still want evangelism and missionary work to be done. It's a necessity that people come together so that they can pool resources to be able to send missionaries, etc. I don't have one individual, uh, personally, unless he's a multimillionaire, that's able to send missionaries to different parts of the world. That's where it's part of our personal responsibility, part of an organization, which is called the church, that we can fulfill the the, um, the missionary mandate given to us in Matthew chapter 28. And that cannot be fulfilled without being part of a body. So I think that, that in itself is... And then what about fellowship? How in the world are you going to survive as a lone ranger in this world with all these problems and not have fellow believers to lift you uh, in prayer and to, to encourage you in your heart? And the Bible tells us uh, again and again to encourage one another. There's a, a theme in the scriptures of one anothering. Uh, it's about seven different things. It tells us to love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. Uh, but again, that emphasizes that it's a fellowship and that we belong to a, a society of people who come together in the name of the Lord to serve Him and to do His work. You are listening to That's Truth. We're talking about the topic of prayer tonight. Again, you can send in a question about any topic, but we will continue talking about this topic until we receive your question. A WhatsApp question from Antigua. If knowledge and understanding of the Bible is minimal... 
wouldn't that be a major reason why prayer is lacking and they would flow easier when understanding what God expects of us? Well, there's no question that uh, knowledge is part of vital element when it comes to your prayer life, but I would say to you that I don't think that's the problem, to be very honest with you. I think the problem is that we haven't disciplined ourselves in this uh, this matter. I think that's the biggest problem. I don't think it's a matter of knowledge. I think, generally speaking, most people uh, who don't pray, they're not praying because they don't have knowledge. They know that they can come to the Father in the name of Jesus. They all know that. Uh, so I don't think that's the issue. I think the, the primary issue here is that we have not dedicated ourselves and committed ourselves to the actual discipline of prayer. And uh, But I think that is where the problem lies uh, within... For example, I'm a first-generation um, Christian in my family. I never was disciplined in prayer when I was being brought up, and it's the biggest struggle in my life. Because if you're going to develop habits, you have to develop habits very early. And that's why Christian parents who are now having children, that's the time to really get these children into, into discipline of prayer. That carries through with you as you go on in life. If you are coming to an adult, you're 16 or 17, and you never had anybody in your home to teach you how to pray, and you didn't have a consistent prayer life as a young person, you'll struggle. And uh, until a person understands that problem and then begins to discipline himself to know to train themselves in that habit, you'll never come to a point where you have a really effective and meaningful prayer life. So I do feel, quite frankly, that it's not knowledge. I just think that we've not disciplined ourselves in this area. And along those lines of the disciplines of the Christian faith, Pastor has Pastor Murphy has started a new series on Sermons of Grace on Sunday nights here on the Radio Lighthouse at 8.15, talking about the disciplines of the Christian life. And I imagine we'll be discussing the topic of prayer as part of that series. A question coming from Trinidad in Matthew chapter 27. And give me just a second. I'm going to pull that up. Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 to 53. Whom are the saints being referred to? The saints whose graves were opened. And I will read those verses. Matthew 27, 51 to 53 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I don't can't answer that question definitively, but we do know that Christ is the first fruits of them that rose from the dead. And then you've got these token individuals as well who were raised and who apparently uh, perform a witnessing function within the New Testament church. Uh, but I can't be very specific. All I can tell you is that they were dead saints that were raised from the dead. I think that is sufficient. I am beyond speculation when it comes to these kind of things. I accept the scriptures, what the Bible teaches. Everybody wants to know more about you know who specifically they were. All the, the Bible tells they were people who had put their faith and trust in God who had died. Whether those were people who died during the New Testament period or died during the, the Old Testament period, the important factor here is that these are true, genuine, authentic believers who became tokens of the resurrection of Christ and perform a witnessing function, a miraculous witnessing function uh, after Christ was resurrected and dead. Now you can all see, see why this was needed. 
This is, remember that all through our Lord's life and his ministry, in spite of all the miracles he performed, he was seen as a deceiver and a traitor. He was never accepted as the Messiah by the Jews. And they needed to have this uh, authenticating, uh, miraculous display so as to uh, confirm that what who Christ claimed he was was genuine. Romans chapter 1 said that Christ was proved to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was the climactic proof that all that Christ came to be, he actually war, was. And uh, a witness to that would be these saints who were raised with him, who were tokens of this resurrection, who then went into the cities and uh, witnessed on his behalf. So this is a miraculous work that accomplished, and like any other great movement that God begins, it always begins with some kind of miraculous work, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Pastor, why is prayer so vital for the believer? Well, it is vital uh, for several reasons, and uh, I would like to share with you, uh, I have a book in my possession, a very small book, not very large at all, it's maybe a hundred and some odd pages, but it's a very, very small, small uh, book. It's written by uh, R.A. Torrey, and it's it's called How to Prayer. I would recommend that people, if they can get it, uh, just, just read it. It's a very simple book on prayer, but it has a lot of profound concepts. Uh, in that particular book, um, he talks about the importance of prayer, and in actual fact, he lists several reasons why uh, it's important for us to uh, become a people of prayer and to practice prayer. Uh, let me share some of those with you. The first thing that he, not in a particular order, but just to mention what he, he, first thing he points out is that one of the reasons that we need to pray is because we got a devil who is our enemy. And uh, an interesting verse is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, if you would just read there for just a moment. Ephesians chapter, chapter six, 6 and verse 18 or 13. I think it's 18. All right. Let's start with 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Yeah. The, the context of that passage is that he's dealing with spiritual warfare. Uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians and it's very very significant as he's dealing with spiritual warfare and he's coming to a climax to end the whole thing he said listen you know you put on all this armor but he's saying uh, the final piece of the weaponry and the and the arsenal you need is prayer and notice uh, read it again and see the amount of all he talks about there Nathan Praying always, always with all with prayer all prayer and supplication in the spirit watching thereunto with all, all perseverance, perseverance and supplication for all, all the saints. saints. I mean, the amount, it's fascinating the times, about four times, five times he mentioned the word all. And uh, what Dr. Ari, Tari points out, quite frankly, that this is clearly an indication from Ephesians chapter 6 with this verse, that prayer is a vital part of spiritual victory over this warfare that we engage in. Remember, we're dealing with an enemy that is coming. He's powerful. He's experienced. He's determined. He's destructive. And he's constantly plotting to bring us to a downfall and to ruin us. And uh, prayer is the means of our protection. And that's why it is part of the spiritual armor that is almost like the the final phase that uh, envelops us against the attack of the enemy. So I think it's important to understand that uh, if we are going to have victory and success in the warfare that we engaged in, we've got to see that we've got an enemy. And the agency that God has chosen to use as a means of beating back the enemy and overcoming the enemy is through prayer. So that's one of the reasons that we, we talk about that need prayer. The other thing is that prayer is, he mentions, is important because prayer is the means that God has appointed for us to get things. Uh, look at James chapter 4, verse 
verse 2. James chapter 4 and verse number 2 says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Again, it's very simple. Uh, if we want from God, rather than envy, rather than being, being hateful and uh, take things into our hands, uh, etc., uh, it says that the way that we get things is asking God, right? So uh, prayer is the specific means that God has designated if we want uh, things that we ask Him. Look at Mark chap- Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. Matthew 21, verse 22 says, In all things, whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Again, it is through prayer we get what we ask for. So when we have a lack in our life, quite frankly, uh, the basic reason for that is our neglect of prayer. And he's saying that if you want, you uh, look at Luke eleven thirteen. Luke eleven thirteen says, "If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father?" Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. That's an amazing verse right there, quite frankly. We know that when we believe, we have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. But we also know from the book of Acts that there are many fillings of the Holy Spirit. So again, there are times when we need the Spirit to control us and we need the Spirit to be uh, more involved in our lives. And that's where prayer comes in. Uh, so the fillings in the book of Acts, there are three or four different times we swear that the disciples prayed and they were filled with the Spirit. And the idea of filling, of course, is the idea of control. When a person is filled with fear or filled with anger, as the Bible uses it, it always has the idea that that is the thing that controls them. Anger controls, fear controls. So when you're talking about filling of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the control of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And that comes through how? Prayer. You know, prayer, that's what the Lord is saying. So it's the means of uh, God has, uh, you know, God has certain means of accomplishing uh, things, and one of those means of getting things from God uh, uh, is by asking Him. And prayer is that avenue, that conduit through which we receive from the Lord. So that's why prayer is important. Uh, the other thing is that we know prayer is important because it was a priority uh, with the apostles themselves. Look at Acts chapter six, verse two and verse four. Acts six two. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I think that's very, very significant that they did not allow uh, a changing situation where there was added responsibility and where there was a lot of um, uh, needs to crowd out their time so they didn't have time to prayer and they made prayer a priority now if the apostles who are the models and the example for us along with Christ uh, how we should live and how we should think how we should behave if they saw prayer uh, as a priority uh, it is because they saw prayer as vitally important and then when you go into the Pauline epistles and you read uh, Paul's epistles you'll find again and again uh, he's writing he talks about he's praying for the saints he's praying for the saints prayer was a vital part of Paul's life and it's inconceivable that it would not be part of our own lives as a matter of fact every single mighty man of God that God has used in the past whether it be Moody or Finney uh, or Spurgeon 
uh, out of Aaron Judson or um, David Livingston, all of these men were men of, of great prayer. So it's important because uh, it is a priority for the men of God that were used in the past, and it should be a priority for us. Uh, a, a, a fourth thing is this, uh, Nathan. Prayer was also very prominent in the life of our Lord. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark one thirty-five reads as follows. And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. That's an amazing verse because if you read the passages before, he had a, a day of tremendous activity. And uh, now he cut short his sleeping time to go apart to pray. Now, this is not just um, an ordinary man. This is Jesus Christ himself. So he saw the importance of, of prayer, and it was a priority for him. Look at another passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke six twelve says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, that's a fascinating statement. It's a, a rebuking statement as well. Imagine God, the Son, in human flesh, still senses his need because he came to live as a man. Remember that. And he must set an example for us. But even in spite of all his power, all of his might, all of his wisdom, uh, even his close relationship with his father, yet he spends a whole night in prayer. I mean, if that weren't in the Scripture it would almost be unbelievable that he would need to spend some time, that length of time in prayer. But again, he's showing us the model of what we should be. Prayer is vitally important. As a matter of fact, if you go through the Gospels, you will find that 25 different times the word prayer is associated with Christ in the Gospels alone. And that shows you the priority that he gave to prayer. Now, if he gave that priority, the apostles gave that priority, mm-hmm. why do we think that prayer is not that important? See, so that adds to the significance of the importance of prayer because of the the example of these these men, etc. Uh, you were just mentioning that if it wasn't written in Scripture, we wouldn't want to believe it. I'd go even a step further. It would be insulting to think if, if it wasn't in Scripture. My tendency, my human nature, would be: What pastor you just said that my the Son of God, my Savior had to pray. Yeah. And, and, you know, the book of Hebrews, uh, I forgot the passage right now, but it says that he prayed with much crying and tears. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you read passages like that. No, we, we're not given. You remember that our whole Lord, our Lord's 33 years of life is condensed in just three years. We don't have any idea of what happened before 30 years old, right? We just have an idea uh, after between 30 and 33. But I- I imagine uh, what that means to hear that he offered prayers of crying, and et cetera, et cetera. It, it shows you the humanness of his, of his life. He is God in the flesh, but at the same time, he's living as a human being, uh, as we should live. And he's setting the example and the model. And the important thing here should be that if he needed prayer, Man, we need prayer. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, I don't know how to say it, Nathan, but if the Son of God needed to pray and he needed to pray a whole night, how is it conceivable that we could think that we could get along without prayer? I mean, that is... It's convicting. Uh, it, it really is. But surely that's another reason that uh, would indicate to us that um, prayer is important. The other thing, uh, Nathan, that is very significant, that prayer is important because uh, what you think is the present ministry of our Lord in heaven. 
his ministry didn't end here. When he died on the cross, that propitiatory work was completed. But he still has an ongoing work in heaven. And what is that main work that he's involved in? Look at Hebrews chapter 9, uh, chapter 7, verse uh, 25. Hebrews 7 and verse number 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I mean, that is, that's mind-boggling. But to think that the, the our eternal security is wrapped up in the fact that we have an eternal Savior uh, constantly interceding for us, and that guarantees us that um, we're safe. But that living uh, intercessory work that is currently going on for us, if he prayed and he needed prayer on, on, on earth, now we're told that while he's in heaven, he still needs to be praying for us. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the importance of prayer, I don't know what will, right? Um, look at Romans eight uh, thirty-four, and you'll find a similar expression about our Lord. Romans 8, verse 34 says... Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Same concept is there, but we don't see the concept in Romans. We only see it in Hebrews. But Paul is emphasizing this whole matter that, you know, who can condemn the believer? Uh, It is Christ that's saved, but it's also Christ who is currently in it. In other words, we stand before God, before God accountable to Christ. We are not accountable to anybody. Anybody can say what they want to say about us. But the one who died for us and the one who intercedes for us is the one that makes the ultimate decision. But notice his intercessory work on on our behalf. So prayer is important uh, because it's important currently in the life, the ongoing life of Christ before the Father on our behalf. And then in Hebrews 4, uh, 16, prayer is the means by which we get mercy and we get grace to help. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah, I think that is very, very obvious that if we are at a point where we need help and we need God's favor, the only way, the only avenue, the only conduit of getting that mercy and getting that grace is personally prayer. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the means of, of, of mercy and grace. Remember, mercy... Uh, basically is what we need. Grace is uh, what we must have if we're going to live this this Christian life. So we need both grace and mercy, and that only comes to prayer. I mean, there's no other way that we can find. Uh, You remember when Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and Paul requested three times that the Lord remove the thorn? And uh, the Lord said him after a third time, uh, my grace is sufficient. And then Paul had to draw down that on that grace. That grace was provided to enable Paul to live with his thorn. Sometimes there are times when we have a problem. We might have a sickness. We might have a, you know, I'm beginning to have a knee pain these days. Uh, and we all pray, God, remove this. But there are times when God will. There are sometimes when He doesn't. And if He doesn't, it means that He gives you compensating grace. But you have to ask for that grace to enable you to endure if He doesn't remove that particular affliction. So prayer, again, is important because it's the means of finding mercy and finding help. 
And then look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, clearly, if we want to be able to handle anxiety and we want to enjoy God's peace, believe me, it, it cannot come any other way than to our prayer to Him. That's the way you deal with anxiety. That's the way you, you, you're troubled and you want peace. The Bible says there's a way that you can get this anxiety dealt with, a way that you can get God's peace, but it doesn't come apart from prayer. I think that pretty much explains why uh, Christians are so miserable because, quite frankly, we don't pray as we should. Because the very means that God has instructed that provides the avenue whereby these needs can be met is the very uh, um, means that we're not utilizing as we should. Consequently, we're always anxious, uh, we're always worried, always fearful, and we seem to lack this placid peace that is offered to us. But that only comes to a prayer life, and that is uh, clearly, again, that's how prayer is important uh, for a believer. Um, so those are those are several of the reasons why uh, why we should pray, but let's look at another one. Um, we mentioned look at Luke chapter twenty one, verse thirty four and thirty five. Luke, what chapter? Um, twenty one, verse thirty four and thirty And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with suffering and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so the day come upon you unawares. Verse 35. For as a snare shall it come unto all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Yeah. If you read the context, it's talking about his return, and he's warning believers that if you are not careful... Uh, the word um, that is used there, um, read the passage again for me, please. Yeah, let me Overcharge. read it. Let me read it in yeah. another translation. Uh, Luke twenty one thirty four says, yeah. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Yeah. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Yeah, the, the word that is used is the word bareo. It's the word to be burdened. So it's warning the believer that it, as the Lord's return comes, uh, you're going to see a lot of things are going to burden you down. And I mean, we're having it right now with the COVID. I mean, I don't know if anybody who would say that this COVID pandemic is not like a burden. You think you get relief, and then suddenly there's a new mandate given, and you go back to square one. You wonder when you ever get to this dark, gloomy type of life. But again, the Lord warns that, you know, we're going to be burdened. And then he talked about the word surfeiting that is used there is the word and the Greek word means giddiness or headache resulting from excessive drinking. So here people, uh, because they're burdened down with these things, what did they turn to? They turn to the alcoholic beverage to bring them kind of relief. And the Lord is warning believers that uh, this can happen. And then drunkenness as a result of that. So you're burdened, you turn to booze, and then that leads to drunkenness. The only way out of that, he said, is to what? Watch and what? Watch and pray. 
right? Yeah. So that's the means of avoiding yourself and being on the guard, lest the temptations and the burdens of these last days so overwhelm you that you turn to artificial means like drinking uh, and drunkenness. And uh, in other places, it might be something else licentious. But you're trying to find some means to calm your spirit and to uh, to, to, to boil your spirit up. And our Lord warns that um, the only way that you'll be able to handle this situation is if you watch and if you pray. Without prayer and watching, uh, the danger is there that you become so burdened that you turn to artificial means to meet those uh, to get relief out of that burden. So again, prayer is seen as something that is vital while we wait for the Lord, because of the danger we exposed to, because of things that are coming upon uh, planet Earth that become so burdensome for us. We have a WhatsApp question that has come in from Antigua. It's in relation to Isaiah seven fourteen and Matthew one twenty three. Let me read those and then I'll seven ask what fourteen seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew one twenty three says: Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is being interpret which is being interpreted is God with us. These two passages should mean the same, but Isaiah, the word virgin in Hebrew, is Alma, or young woman. Is it absolute that it means virgin? Well, you could check if you check the word um, Alma. In every case, it's used in the Old Testament. It's young lady who's a virgin. Check it up for himself. You'll see that every single passage is used as a young lady is a virgin. But what cements the whole thing is that when the the, the New Testament writers were um, uh, writing the quoting from Isaiah, they found the Greek word that means virgin, only a virgin, for the same equivalent Hebrew word. So, so there'd be no doubt in anybody's mind what that word meant. The specific word that is chosen in the Greek language means virgin. It means not just long, it means virgin. So, so that no, because the possibility of a woman can be a young lady but not be a virgin. But the New Testament writers uh, made it very clear so that because they, they knew that people would ask these kind of silly questions because there's some doubt about the, these, these kind of things. And there are people who are always trying to find something in the Bible to discredit the scriptures. They know this would come. Uh, and that is why that particular word in the Greek language means only virgin. But it is true that the Alma in the Old Testament means young lady. But every time that word Alma is used in the Old Testament, it's a young lady who's a virgin. That can be checked out by using a concordance. So there's no disparity between the two. But the Greek language itself is far more specific. So it leaves no any room for any doubt or whatever so that nobody would question the fact that uh, our Lord was born of a virgin. And the second part of this question, also, the child in Isaiah was conceived in that era. With reference to verse 16, can this be cleared up? Well, it's cleared up because there's always, in, in Bible prophecy, you'll find that it refers to sometimes a local situation. Uh, 
but it also projects into the future. For example, if you read the Psalms, you see that many times David seemed to be talking about himself. Then you discover that he's talking about the Christ. So there's a dual application of Bible prophecy. There's a, a local application, and there's often a prophetic application, and that is seen many, many times in the Bible. It's called the dual application of Bible prophecy. So for for those who are familiar with the prophetic word, would know that um, the local situation is used, uh, but also projects into the future. And in this case, clearly it was projected into the future. The the other thing is that in that same passage, probably I'll, I'll deal with it maybe in another maybe the next program in more detail, is that that uh, promise was made to the king as uh, a sign, and the king refused to take the sign, and then God turned around and speak to Israel, not to the same king that he will give Israel, not the king, because if you read the passage, you find out the king said, I will not tempt the Lord by asking a sign. And uh, he was actually, actually rebuked. And then because he rejected the offer of God showing him a sign, the Lord said, I will speak to the nation of Israel, and this is how you speak to the nation of Israel. So even though he uh, made a promise of, of a virgin birth, that, ver- that promise was not made to the king because he rejected it. It was made to Israel itself. Thank you to the individual who sent in those questions. There is still enough time. If you send in your question quickly, you can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. A WhatsApp comment on prayer from Antigua. Prayer is absolute in our relationship with God. Prayer should be our conversation with God every chance of the day we get Once we talk with him as though we talk with each other in the same mind, that is the need of God. To accept his presence as though he is next to us, which he always is, and live in obedience. Would you agree with those statements? Well said. Well said. No, I think that those sentiments are, I'm full agreement with those sentiments. Pastor, as we wrap up this episode, we've got about five minutes left in tonight's episode, and I'm sure we'll... Uh, you've already referenced we'll come back to this topic Lord willing next week but do you have any practical advice for the individual who's listening and says I'm convicted I need to pray more and if we're honest all of us are in that category how do I become more prayerful um, I I would say to a person who really wants to re-stimulate their their prayer life and maybe get into a um, I don't want to use a regimen, but you'll have to be be able to do some kind of discipline. I would offer just some very simple thoughts on it. First of all, uh, make a daily prayer appointment with God and, and keep it. Pledge to God that you're going to meet with Him and uh, keep that commitment, even if it means dropping something or not doing something or sacrificing something. But if it is critical and you're really, really serious... It's not going to happen without you making that appointment and keeping that appointment. I mean, be an appointment with a doctor, you're going to see the doctor. Appointment with the PM, you're going to see the PM. You, you don't brush aside. So I think take it that serious that it's an appointment with him and you're going to keep it. Um, I would suggest to you that find a place that you can really, really pray. And I would, as I said uh, at the beginning of the program, find a place where you can talk and, and, and pray aloud as opposed to just 
praying because you don't want other people to think that they, they want to hear you praying. I mean, that's, that's, that, that can be a problem sometimes, to be very honest with you. You're, you're very conscious of other people listening. You're very conscious. You don't want to create the impression that you're a hypocrite. You're just praying because people are listening. But I do think it's important to find a place where you can actually verbalize your prayer. I think it helps center your thoughts if you can verbalize your prayer rather than trying to pray under the muffle of your voice and try to pray in your mind it wanders so you, you, I think that that's vitally important um, the other thing I would suggest to you is that uh, it would be good if you're going to pray to precede that prayer by meditating on scripture especially going to the Psalms as you begin your prayer life uh, you need a model of, of how to pray and what to pray for. And I don't think there's a greater book in the Bible that will show you exactly the ups and downs of how to pray, how to approach God, the attitudes. Uh, I think that's a marvelous book. So I think that it would be good to, to start reading the Psalms of David along that line. Uh, the other thing I think is um, try to get a prayer list. It would be very, very helpful. Simple prayer list uh, that you would one of the simple things you can do is that if you're going to be praying on a daily basis is to take the days of the week, Monday, pray for everything about with the M that you can think about your mommy, you pray about your money, your finances, whatever it is, uh, pray for the manager, what you you know, anything that comes with an M, that's your we're gonna pray pray about that. Uh missions, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, on Tuesday, think of things that start with T. You've got to have some kind of format so you don't ramble. You don't, what would I pray about? If you have each one of your fing- fingers with the five days of the week, or six, seven days of the week, each day, uh, that word, uh, M Monday, T, and then Wednesday, you develop a pattern. But I do think it's important to have a, some kind of a prayer list. Um, the other thing I would suggest to you, don't fight wandering thoughts that come against you. Use those thoughts and pray about those thoughts when they do come. Maybe maybe they come back something that you did in the past and that just haunt you. Well, focus on that. Uh, pray about that. Uh, make sure that's cleared up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because it can be a battle that you spend all this time wondering why this thought is coming. You you know and something. No, if that thought comes in, don't battle that thought. Pray and get that thought out of your mind. And the other thing is, of course, is uh, always try to uh, thank God for something He's done for you. Uh, during the, the day or during the week but have this thankful spirit uh, for him um, I would say to people and I would say to myself that failure to prayer is the hallmark of self-sufficiency when we don't pray it's because we are we feel quite self-sufficient we can make it without God and uh, that's a great tragedy in our lives thank you for listening to That's Truth tonight be sure that you stay tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and we look forward to continuing this topic, Lord willing, next Tuesday evening at 7.30 as we continue to talk about prayer. And let me encourage you not only to be in prayer, but also to be jotting down. If you have any questions that come to your mind, you can send them in on our WhatsApp or text number, 268-782-1454. And we will start out next week's episode answering your questions. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth.
Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.